Hey, this is Mike and Tom from Ballpark Bros. You're listening to another great show on the Four Eyed Radio. Check us all out on FourEyedRadio.com. Starfleet Escape Podcast. Prepare for launch in three, two, one. Enjoy the ride. Welcome to the Starfleet Escape Podcast, only on the Four-Eyed Radio Network, where we escape into the Star Trek universe. This is episode number 77 and is being recorded on November 10th, 2017. Today's topic is Spectral Scan Star Trek Discovery episode number 8, Civis Possum Parabellum. This is a spoiler-filled episode. You have been warned. I'm Eric Dewey. And I'm Eric Berry. This episode is sponsored by Revenge Lover. Stand out from the crowd. For more information, visit revengelover.com and mention the podcast for 10% off of your order. How are you doing today, Eric? I am doing great. And I am so excited for the fall finale coming up for Star Trek Discovery. Oh, yes. that It looks like it's going to be action-packed. It looks like it's going to be fun. Looks like it's going to leave us wanting more over the break, although I am kind of glad that we'll have the break from podcasting over the holidays, so I don't have to worry <laughs> about family drama with, you know, hey, I, I need to set aside time to record. I'm like, nope, nope, it's just holiday time. Holiday time is, is fine. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so that, that kind of brings us right into our, our news. Um, yep. We do have an official date when Star Trek Discovery will ret- return for uh, Chapter 2 of Season 1, they're calling it. And yep. that is on January the 7th of 2018. So not a, not a huge break. Not not super long. I was worried it wasn't, wasn't going to come back until like February or something. So like yeah, right like, after uh, the new year. Like a month and a half. That's not terrible. Yeah. Especially since we, I mean, we're only getting, what, five more episodes uh, after this? Yeah. Was it six? No, it's five. Yeah, because it's 15 total that we're getting. So, oh, no, it should be six episodes then, yeah? Because this was episode nine. I can count. I had yes. to carry the two. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'm, yeah, and it'll end in probably the middle of february and that will be sad and then who knows how long we'll have to wait for season two but at least we're getting a season two yes at least we do know that season two is coming we're not you know left on in the lurch for that at least at least we do know that it is in in the works (laughs) but one uh one tidbit that i was very curious about when they made this announcement for the return they said that you know chapter two will contain the last six episodes and it will run through february 11th but according to cbs the chapter two will find the crew of the discovery in quote unquote unfamiliar territory and they'll have your universe what (laughs) i was i was i was was subtly saying mirror universe amongst my coughs (laughs) yeah (laughs) maybe not so subtly yeah and they'll have to get creative about ways to return home and yeah i know the mirror universe is coming my prediction is that in this battle for pavo in the last episode maybe they'll activate the spore drive in an emergency type situation and find themselves in the mirror universe yeah it's very po- i mean we already know you know the showrunners have let slip in the in the past that there were going to be mirror episodes 
that was said. Um, and we've already seen, you know, set pictures with the ISS Discovery plaque. So we mm-hmm. know that it's going to happen. We just don't know when, for how long, or, you know, how much it's going to be. I'm always intrigued by the Mirror Universe stuff. Um, it's one of those things that, you know, I felt that it was, we only got to see it once in the original series. And then they didn't mm-hmm. touch it in next gen, except in the in the comics and novels. And then I felt they overused it in Deep Space Nine. I felt it was like I, every other episode was a damn mirror universe episode. It's like, oh, again, guys. Uh, yeah, I agree. <laughs> they they in Deep Space Nine they almost did one a season. Like I forgot what season they first started that because it wasn't. I don't think it was season one. Yeah, I don't where think they, they started that. Yeah, I don't think they did a mirror episode season one. But I feel like there was one a season from season two on, basically. Pretty um, much. I'd have yeah. to look it up to be sure, but they made it far too easy for these people to jump back and forth, and and it made it right. so that it was just kind of like a, a okay, I guess they wanted to to kill an episode, so they're like, hey, let's do a mirror. And uh, Voyager didn't do it, but there was one Voyager called Living Witness where it was just kind of like an alternate history type thing, mm-hmm. and it was kind of dark. So I I could see that as being their mirror episode, but I think Enterprise did the best one. And how they were able to tie it with the Prime Universe from Kirk's time with uh, the Defiant, the USS Defiant. Mm -hmm. So that, I think Enterprise had one of the best mirror episodes aside from the original series, just because it tied back to the original series. So it was kind of like time travel and alternate dimension at the same time, and it had some cool callbacks with the Tholians. So, yeah, I'm excited for what Discovery's take on the Mirror Universe would be. I'm almost 100% sure it's got to be because of this damn spore drive. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that'll be the mechanism which is used to get them there because it makes the most sense. I mean, why make up something else? Why use why use a yeah. transporter to, to do this? You know, basically all the other ones have almost always been transporter-based and it's just individuals going into the mm-hmm. mirror universe. In this case, we could see the entire ship potentially being taken or maybe it's the entire crew of the entire ship flip-flopping, you know. Now, that would be crazy for our universe, like yeah. to have a whole mirror crew just doing whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it, it would Not- be interesting to be sure, especially if, uh, you know, yeah. in the past, the mirror entities have always been a darker, more, you know, evil side of all these individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wonder if Mirror Lorca is like a soft, cuddly sweetheart, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it would be very weird but yeah i'm i'm very excited for what chapter two is going to bring for the show i hope we get some longer episodes and uh we'll get into it when we talk about episode eight uh we've all just watched but my concern is you know just use the full hour or use what you want i felt that this episode that we're going to review was a little bit too short. It was like just a tick over uh, 42 minutes. And I was like, really? Especially when, when we heard about the deleted scenes, which we'll talk about, I was like, you couldn't just let, let those in. Yeah. That's like, been my number one. Yeah. I think that's my number one complaint right now still about discovery is that they're trying to, you know, with everything else they're doing that is completely bucking the traditional TV model, right. stick with it. Just, 
take whatever time you need to tell your full, your your full story. You don't need to cut time. And the only right. reason that I can think that they are trying to keep it in that bracket is because they're doing the After Trek part live. So they want to fit it into that hour before After Trek sure. with the people who are watching the commercial-based plan still having the time you know, from the time they start it, um, you know, because to me, it seems like there's a ton of time between the end of Discovery and After Trek because, you know, there's almost like a whole half hour if you're just watching it. Yeah, especially since, you know, they say it releases at 830, but it's almost always up by 815, 820 available. Oh, yeah. So and I'm always there refreshing, waiting for it to pop in there. So I, I just, yeah, they could definitely use more time. They would just have to push when After Trek starts, which but I don't see why fine. they couldn't do that. They run both shows. <laughs> you know, you have the power to do that. This is It's not some other company running After Trek saying, nope, you have to be done by this time so that we can start at this. No, it's your own dang show. You start it when you want. Um, so, so hopefully, yeah. they, hopefully they get away from that. Maybe they'll listen to us, the fans, telling us, no, take the time. Tell the whole story. We don't need a 43-minute episode exactly every single time. I, I wanted to see more of Admiral Corn. Cornwell and Laurel. Especially I wanted more that, yes. of that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so before we, we dive right deep into the episode, we're going to talk about our would you buy it. Mr. Dewey, would you buy this particular item? I think I would. In fact, I just might. I uh, haven't pulled the trigger yet, but I might actually pick this up. And I think I would too, just to see the art and just for the humor aspect of it. And what are we talking about? We're talking about The Search for Spock, a Star Trek book of exploration. It's for $15 at ThinkGeek and probably on Amazon for cheaper. But what is this? It's a 23rd century Where's Waldo. Logic may be a little tweeting bird chirping in the meadow, but Spock prefers concrete, the graphable, and the provable. He thinks the universe is sane, that Edith Keeler must die, and that cats are most curious creatures. These aren't just Vulcan personality traits. They are clues to finding the most recognizable Vulcan in Federation history. So... They're basically doing a Where's Waldo for Spock. Yeah, it's just a cool little concept. I mean, I love the play on Searching for Spock, obviously, the title of a movie. And I always loved the Where's Waldo books when I was a kid. It was one of my favorite things, you know. It it was a way to kill a few minutes here and there, you know. Some of them were a lot harder than others. Some of them were really easy and others were like I've been staring at this thing for an hour and I don't know where the hell Waldo is dang it so if it's done well I could see this being really fun for you know for kids as well as the adults who want to uh, introduce you want to introduce Star Trek to your kids at a young age here's a way to do it (laughs) oh yeah so uh, um, I think it's pretty cool one of the like italicized under the title it says a highly illogical parody <laughs> so <laughs> it's it's going to be like 40 pages and now I wonder yeah. is that 40 individual are they talking about pages yeah I know in the old Where's Waldo books that were always two pages per what it was, looks like these are two pages because the the red little delta shield in, says includes 15 strange new missions. Okay. So if they do spreads, that's 30, and then maybe an extra 10 for some uh, information on yeah, about yeah. all this. Okay, that makes sense. That's what I was wondering. It's like how many actual puzzles are there, and I guess it's telling us 15. But, uh, yeah, just from the cover, it looks hilarious. I, I already see, like, a, a Harcourt Fenton mud in there. 
some other little trek things throughout so it's it's going to be pretty hilarious i and for 15 bucks why not that's yeah that's it's not an extreme amount of money to spend and you know it's it's one of those things if it gives you even just a couple hours of pleasure then it's just it's worth the same as the price of a movie ticket yeah and that's how much a movie ticket's costing these days so why not and it's something that uh, you know other people can get enjoyment out of as well not just yourself so I'm, i think it's worth it i think i'm probably going to pick one of these up nice so we're going to dive right in to our spectral scans talk of star trek discovery episode 8 cv Paseum parabellum <laughs> I, i'm probably pronouncing that way wrong everything's but, good I, I believe it's pakam and pakam. i only know that because i've been to church with my wife several times and that's a word that does appear in many of the liturgies um because well, i believe peace. it means peace yes so, yeah, so it is something that uh, that i've heard in many a song and uh, many a recital so i believe it's pakam um, yeah, so but everything else. Pockham Parabellum. Yes. <laughs> it just rolls off the tongue. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, which, you know, loosely translated, it means if you want peace, prepare for war. Not uh, not a new saying by any stretch of the imagination. You know, uh, peace through superior firepower. It's always been the adage of the warmonger. <laughs> yeah, definitely and, nothing and new Lorca there. And as well. Yeah. <laughs> But, yeah, I mean, it definitely fits the theme of the episode because, you know, they they want peace and are trying to find any means to do it. But, you know, well, it it mainly applies to the Pavans. But on the Starfleet side, you know, now that they've, you know, tried to use the Pavan beacon thing, it Mm -hmm. totally backfired on them because they weren't taking... (laughs) They weren't taking into account how extreme this the Pavans might be for peace. So I, I think the title's perfect. Well, when they went um, down there, they didn't even realize there was a sentient species right. on the planet. They thought it was just uh, plant life that just happened to vibrate, and, you know, blah, 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 um, you know. And so— They were basically on Pandora. Yeah. So yeah. Um, but um, so the Discovery is tasked with a high priority mission to the planet Pavo and learn the science behind the Klingons' cloaking technology. Um, this episode takes place on Stardate 1308.9, and this was a little bit closer to the Stardate that we heard in the first episode of 1207.3. I know there's an episode we talked about, was it last episode or the episode before? Um, where it was like something in the 2800s for star dates. And it was like, yeah. <laughs> I gave okay. up a long time ago on trying to figure out what the star dates mean. Cause I don't think they go in sequential order. I think that they have something to do with where you are in space as in addition it's to weird. when. So <laughs> the, cause the fact is we know that they're showing us these episodes in chronological order. We know that we're seeing that this yeah. is happening after all of the stuff that we've already seen yet. The, the, Star dates seem almost arbitrary, but I'm sure somebody somewhere has like everything mapped out. Like, okay, well, if you're here on this date, then it's going to be this is the star date. <laughs> but I don't have that information. I'm not going to try to speculate to it. I don't think anyone does. But what intrigued me about this mission was just the fact that they're trying to use a planet 
and the re- pretty much any resources they can at this point to to basically end the war. I mean, everyone wants to end the war. What I loved about this was the opening scene yeah. where we have the U.S. Discovery and the Gregarin uh, battle. So the ship, the USS Gagarin, uh, was named after Yuri Gagarin, the famous Russian cosmonaut. He was the first human in space. Mm-hmm. And when searching this on Memory Alpha, uh, the ship class is actually the Shepard class. And there was two of these at the Battle of the Binary Stars. Obviously, the Shepard class, named after astronaut Alan Shepard. At the Battle of the Binary Stars, there was the USS Ride, named after astronaut Sally Ride. And the USS Kerala, named after the Kerala State of India, where the Indian Institute of Space and Science Technology is located. I thought that was really cool that this ship class is named after astronauts and early space programs. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I dig that. You know, going back and not just U.S. space program and and stuff. You know, it's really worldwide, you know, trying to show that, hey, Earth's unified now. So, of course, we're going to pull names from every history that got us to where we're going. So I think that is really cool. And, yeah, this this episode opens up on this battle where the Gagarin is just getting bombarded. There's like six Klingon ships and they're just they're just. You know, uncloaking over here, shooting and cloaking again, then uncloaking over here and shooting and just uh, the kind of stuff that we haven't – the type of space battle that we haven't really seen in Star Trek before. You know, most of the time what we end up seeing is just the two ships somehow on exactly the same plane facing each other (laughs) nose to nose. And, you know, once the Romulan or Klingon decloaks, they don't cloak again until they're either defeated or have won and then they're getting ready to leave. Yeah. They show it much more realistic here. It's like, okay, they uncloak, shoot, cloak move somewhere else uncloak shoot cloak move somewhere else and you know the planes of attack are not you know perfect you know because it's it's space it's 3d you don't have to you're not always going to be on this level plane and what i also liked about this scene and i know it's going to sound weird for me to say that this is something i liked about it but i liked that it didn't have a happy ending the discovery didn't pop in blow all the all the klingons out of the water and be like haha so we saved the day see you later no they came in they tried but they failed the Gagarin was destroyed, all hands lost. They had to ditch out of there before they were destroyed as well because they could not fight against that many Klingon ships with the ability to cloak. So we didn't get that happy ending that, you know, so many times we see these space battles that, okay, the the, the Federation ship is so outmanned and outgunned. How are they ever going to, oh, they found this. Well, if we use the deflector dish to reroute the polarization of the secondary auxiliary feed, <laughs> all of those ships will suddenly just blow up. <laughs> No, there was no magic bullet. There was no, yep. you know, something that just saved the day. No, they had to run away. The the, and, the ship they came to protect blew up. They said, well, we got to get out of here before we suffer the same fate. Peace out. And that's what I liked about um, just that whole, the whole thing. Like, you know, they thought that they gained the upper hand at first and um, the through the use of the 3D, you know, 3D realistic space battle. Lorca actually tried to get between one of the Klingon destroyers and the Gagarin and tried to absorb two torpedoes and even asked, and and I loved it, uh, you know, he was telling his tactical officer, Reese, you know, you know, any day now you can fire. (laughs) (laughs) Could I trouble you to shoot at something? (laughs) I love that. 
Uh, yeah, that, and he that he didn't awesome. know if their strategy worked to get both torpedoes, and it didn't, and it cost the lives of the entire crew of the Gagarin, despite all their best efforts. But from start to finish, I thought it was an amazing scene. I even loved that triumphant moment when the Discovery first drops in from the spore drive and you hear Lorca over subspace saying, Hey, we've got your back, you know, Calvary's here almost. Yeah. You think you're like, yeah, here it goes. We're going to, we're going to turn it around and save the day. America. (laughs) Yeah. But no, (laughs) but I just, I love that shot of the discovery just dropping in. I really like that, that drop in effect that they use for the spore drive when it gets out of, and, and they had it at just the right angle where it's, dropping into frame and and going past the viewer and oh it's it's fantastic we had we had the gagarin blow up and Lorca was totally defeated and had to get out of there and uh was such a great line that you know we we really don't have time to grieve yeah he says there there will be time to mourn but now is not that time i need damage reports i need to know what we need to fix you know we need to move on and get ready for the next battle just a just a quick side note the actor who plays reese patrick kwan chun Mm-hmm. And he's pretty active on Twitter. He's liked a few of my tweets about Discovery and such. And oh, so yeah. He's same, rapidly same becoming here. one of my favorite uh, <laughs> favorites on the show because he's interacting with the fans on Twitter. So, hey, good on you, Patrick. <laughs> and, and that's what I love about Discovery. You know, we have the quote-unquote main cast, but our focus isn't on all of the bridge crew. And you have Detmer. You have, I can't pronounce her name, but she has cool hair. Like, Owanaju uh, 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 or... A Wonka. Oh yeah, or... no, I wouldn't. Yeah. Try, I wouldn't have a try at her name either. <laughs> yeah. And 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 Reese and Arium, who got the con after Lorca left the bridge. But that's that's why I love about this. We have a, like a full senior staff here, but we're the main characters. Some of them aren't the senior staff. Yeah. And it's such a more natural way to tell Star Trek Discovery story. Yeah, it really does feel like you're you're more in the the story because you're not just focusing on individual people necessarily you the story is whoever happens to be there for that part of the story is there and you get to learn a little bit about them but besides really michael there's no one person that this is just focused on and that's what makes it so different from all the other treks that we've had in the past where they've always had that core group of people that the stories would always focus around one or more of those people always, no matter what. The, that mm-hmm. something about this story is going to be all about this. And we get a little bit of that, you know, from time to time. You know, you could argue that some of these episodes have been about Lorca or about Michael or about Saru. You know, much of this episode was really about Saru. So you do get some of that, but it's not as focused as some of the other treks, like you could always, you know, that's how I even, you know, rate some of the episodes that when I go back and rewatch like TNG, I'd be like, oh, it's a data episode. Awesome. Or, oh, God, it's a, it's a Troy episode. Uh, you know, it's <laughs> like, you know, when it's going to be an episode focused around one particular character. And, yeah. you know, sometimes that meant it was going to be a really good episode. And sometimes that meant it was not going to be as good. Um, and sometimes it was kind of 50 50. I think the, the Crusher episodes for me were pretty much 50 50. <laughs> you know? Yeah, don't even get me started on the episode <laughs> where she sleeps with her grandma's <laughs> boyfriend's ghost thing. Another, another Star Trek episode with a Latin title, actually Sub Rosa. <laughs> Uh, okay, not not all the land title episodes are good. Okay, 
Yeah, it's so, good stuff. Yeah. So, you know, we see the Discovery, you know, uh, Spore drive in and then get the heck out of there. So very close together, two of the Spore jumps. And we're starting to now see the toll that it's taking on Lieutenant Stamets. You know, he gets out of the chamber and looks very much like in pain or has a headache and he's confused and he looks over at Tilly and's like, Captain, what are you doing down here? And when I first saw that, I thought he was having maybe like a future flash, like maybe Lorca was going to come into the engine room until he would be like, whoa, how'd you predict that? But no, he might be just seeing an alternate reality where Tilly is the captain. (laughs) which is is what she wanted to be which was so funny because it it really broke her concentration she's like wait what (laughs) which i thought was kind of hilarious considering how much she wants to be a captain but no we're we're finally starting to see the the real effects of using the spore drive so much yeah, yeah. The, like I said last week, I, I didn't know if it was going to be the events of the time loop and the fact that he experienced all probably 30 plus hours of that, or if it was just going to be from the spore drive or a combination of both. But I think we are st- seeing him start to kind of come back down to his normal level, coming down off of that spore high. But along with that, we're also seeing him start to, to lose bits of memory. He admitted that he's starting to, you know, black out, yeah, you lose bits. Uh, he also revealed that he has not told Dr. Culber about it to protect the doctor from either A, having to report him or B, keeping a secret, right. and that, which if then later found out about would ruin his career. So he's keeping the secret even from his partner because he doesn't want to, you know, he's like, either way, I hurt him. So, mm-hmm. you know, while it's still probably hurtful for him to to withhold the information, he thinks that it's protecting him. So I'd be really curious to find out what happened in the the scene that may have been cut. We don't know that you know we we saw a publicity image released that that showed uh, Culber at the table there with him yep. and Tilly. So obviously the conversation yeah. they were having that we saw could not have happened with Doctor Culber there. So. Yeah, what happened when when Culber came over? Did they like shut up and everybody's like, Ooh, and he's like, Are you guys talking about me? You know, <laughs> like, yeah. what's going on? And and that was that was kind of sad because I saw Wilson Cruz tweeted out like, Hey, sorry guys, I didn't know they were going to cut my scene, and I was like, Oh man, because I, I like Doctor Culber and I, I want to see more of him. Yeah, this so was a Culber light episode. He, he existed in the episode, but very very light on Culber because this this was yeah. probably the majority of what he did for this episode and it got cut but overall the scene i thought tilly kind of standing her ground when he she tries to sit down or when she sits down and stamets tries to dismiss her you know he even pulls rank you know you're dismissed cadet and she she stands her ground and uh, good for her because she's getting more of her backbone she even jokes like oh hey my little pep talk didn't help that's kind of my thing <laughs> And I thought that was that was really cute and, and funny, but she's still very concerned for his well-being. And I know there's a couple other engineers in there that, that kind of witnessed that and were probably like, WTF. 
yeah, it's it was nice for him to confide in her a bit because she's really the only one that can help him effectively monitor this without, you know, getting uh, Hugh involved. Yeah. And that's kind of what they agree on is yeah. she says, OK, so what we'll do is we'll, you know, me and you will monitor this. So we'll keep this between us for now. We'll monitor yeah. it. And we'll we'll figure out if at some point this is something we need to to tell somebody else. And and one last thing, I really like that she called him uh, persnickety. Um, <laughs> I think I called him that at one point on the show. So no, I I was very much happy to kind of see the old statements is still in there, and it's not just going to be trippy high statements all the time. Groovy um, statements, all right. <laughs> yeah, all right, giggity. <laughs> but. It it shows us that he's going through these highs and lows, and that can just not be good for his body. And, you know, maybe this is one of the reasons just the spore drive isn't used anymore, yeah. um, especially, you know, because it involves genetic engineering, which is banned by the Federation. Yeah, basically, we know at this point that in order for the spore drive to work, you need to have a living sentient being plugged into it. So you either need to find more of these tardigrades, and in order for Starfleet to accept the use of them, they would have to be able to communicate with it, they would have to be able to get its consent, and they would have to have to find a way that it's not hurting it, which I don't think they can do any of those things. Right. And in order for it to be a human, they have to use genetic engineering, which is not allowed also, <laughs> to, to make it possible. So basically they're kind of stuck in a situation of right now they can still use it, only because it's like okay, well, he did it on his own, so we're not going right. to, we're not going to stop him, and we really, really need this right now because, as they said in the previous episode, the discovery is the only thing keeping them in this war at all. And then now right. that more and more Klingons are getting the cloak, now the the tide's swinging back again. They they talked in the previous episode about how the tide was swinging in their favor because of discovery. Well, they have one secret weapon now. The Klingons have hundreds of secret weapons, basically. So it's yeah, they're they're looking for that balance. But yeah, we can definitely see why the spore drive isn't mm-hmm. standard equipment on all starships going forward from this because we we can see the toll that using it is taking on whoever has to use it. Yeah, and speaking of of the cloak, uh, you know, they're they're really Cole is really using that technology to his advantage and basically spreading it to all the Klingons, you know, for their loyalty. And what was great is just all the little hints, like during the battle, where, you know, Mrs. I can't pronounce her name, but she's very cool. You know, she says that they only fire when they're coming out of cloak, which is consistent with what we know about early, uh, you know, Klingon uh, cloaking technology. They can't fire when cloaked. And that was the whole plot point of Star Trek VI, one of my favorite Star Trek films. But yeah, I, I love that we're seeing the integration of the cloaking technology, which will become, you know, ubiquitous for the Klingons going forward. Yeah, and it made for an interesting... I mean, it, it, it's obvious that this is something that they need to find out against, and yeah, you find a way to, to somehow penetrate or to, to see through. And we know, you know, I, I don't know how they're going to handle it necessarily in Discovery, but we know going forward that Starfleet doesn't really have a way to see through the cloak, even in the future. Now, granted, the cloak right. gets better as the years go by, because they're always perfecting their technology. And we do know they find ways to, to set up detection grids, where if a cloak ship passes through a certain point, 
it can be seen. But we don't see well, them ever just develop a technology that can just sense cloaked ships. Well, speaking of a uh, you know detection grid, that's why I thought the mission to Pavo was so interesting. That they're already conceptualizing of of ways to try to penetrate the cloak, and that that sets up decades of stuff in Star Trek mm-hmm. uh, going forward. But I like that they're trying to do a, a kind of space sonar. It was brilliant. You know, who knows how they found the planet originally in the first place, maybe a, a well, survey ship or something yeah, like that. Yeah, they did say but, that that, uh, that naturally occurring, you know, or what they thought was naturally occurring, that crystal structure was broadcasting the sound of the planet into space. So somebody somewhere picked up that sound and said, where's this coming from? And tracked it back to Pavo. <laughs> Um, Where's this groovy space yes, music like, coming from? I dig and this. Can we can we rave to it on our ship? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as far as a plot point, I did feel that that was a little thin. You know, going to oh, because sure. they can't figure out any other way to make sounds from their ship. They have to go <laughs> to this planet and use the planet sounds. Like they don't just have a way to actually make sonar on like I, okay but um, you know what it sets up it sets up the plot right, and i'm okay right. with it you know we, we we did get to see some cool interactions uh but before they even got to pavo we did get to see some well i guess they they did jump straight to pavo after that a little bit but we got to see some cool klingon action in this episode too yes now, what was so great about this is that we finally see uh, Laurel connect back with the sarcophagus ship, which is now in control of Cole. She is doing her spy bit where she's trying to get in with Cole, and he's kind of seeing right through the BS. And he says, look, you need to get me something interesting. <laughs> yeah, she comes you on need basically. To, you need to prove your worth. Yeah. She kind of comes in with this, like, hey, I'm a, I'm a great interrogator. I'm sure she's probably one of the only Klingons at this point, if the only one, that does actually speak English. So that's what makes her such an a, a effective interrogator. But, yeah, he's like, okay, well, have a crack at her, and if you get me some information, then maybe I'll think about letting your house join and get the cloak and, and do all that fun stuff. We see Laurel come in with these like super barbaric torture devices. She had a whole rack of them. Yeah. <laughs> um, I thought the props were excellent uh, in that episode. Those look super painful. Um, and who knows where those get stuck, you know? But the fact that the whole point of that, again, Laurel is from this house of spies, and we see her doing manipulative things on both sides of the Federation and Klingons. So she tells Cornwell to scream. Cornwell refuses, obviously. And then... I loved it because Laurel just starts like Klingon screaming at her and, and Cornwell being who she is says, well, I'm, I'm going to scream too. <laughs> yeah. And you can't out scream me. <laughs> yeah. That was a fantastic scene. You know, she walks in, she just like scream and she's like, you think I'm just going to scream because you come in here and act scary. You're going to have to do something more than that to get me to scream. And then she just starts howling at her. And I don't, you know, I don't think that, uh, you know, Cornwall still didn't get it at that point as far as what was going on. She was just trying to show her defiance and doing right. a damn good job of it. Just screaming back. She's like, I can scream just as loud as you right back in your face. And I'm not as scared of you. And I, I love and, that. You know, as soon as she's done, she's like, okay, good. Now, now we can talk. 
Yeah, yeah. The the guard, and it was funny because the guard kind of like laughs and walks away. So I was like, okay, that's cool. <laughs> but what was so great about this, you know, me and my wife were watching this, and you know, when Laurel says, "All right, I, I'm here to talk," and we we're like, "What? <laughs> like, what's going on?" And I I loved it because they had this almost I don't want to say heart to heart but you know Laurel's giving her the backstory she doesn't trust Cole uh she wants to defect and the whole time I'm thinking I can't trust her as far as I can throw her because I know <laughs> she's so deceptive but she's damn convincing of it because you know she was using those Klingon puppy dog eyes and what a fantastic makeup job that they did for her because we see now her scarring from Lorca's escape yeah. with Ash Tyler that the plasma burn on the side of her face and Cole even jokes about it he says oh you know you look a lot better better now and she said hey i earned this in battle i earned this scar in battle which i mean i i just love it and she calls cole a patah and you know we finally hear patah <laughs> in in there i i loved it i i absolutely loved it but i was just enthralled with her the the whole makeup uh we get to see it it's it's not a dark ship you know we we're not seeing it behind shadows we're getting full up close and personal with laurel and and cornwell like even the contacts were crazy like and her eyes were so open it was just oh i i think both actresses did an amazing job with this which which sucks because on on after track uh the the actress that plays emerald cornwall says that there was a, a much longer interrogation scene yeah that's that's again you know we talked about like they don't need to keep these at 42 minutes there's no reason for that let us see everything that you filmed or at least you know everything that fits obviously there's going to be stuff that's trimmed for content sure. not for time you know that doesn't quite fit in the final cut i get that but when stuff's cut for time on a streaming show that does not have any sort of actual time limit, the only thing I, I, I just recalled, though, this is being broadcast on TV in some places. Like I, we're, we're thinking here, we're watching uh, it in the U.S. on CBS All Access. It is being broadcast on TV in Canada. So I'm wondering if space, maybe yeah. that is why, you know, maybe they do still have that time restriction there. You know, maybe their contract with them states, we still have to fit this episode into this hour slot with commercials on this channel. And if that's the case, then come on, guys. A lot of little extra time or less commercials... <laughs> So that we can get the rest of it. Or, you know what? Give Space Channel in Canada the pared-down version and give us people paying for CBS All Access the full version. Uh, I'd be okay with that, too, being a person paying for CBS All Access in the United States. Or, you know, maybe they'll, when they do a home video release, it'll be full of deleted scenes or maybe just uncut, like maybe more director's cut. That's but. what I would prefer because I'd want to see the whole thing in the order it was supposed to be instead of yeah. watch the episode as it airs and then try to fit in the deleted scenes. Like either way, I want to see them like give them to me somewhat one way or another, <laughs> but mm -hmm. I would prefer if you give me the option to watch it as it was, you know, filmed completely. Yeah. I'm really hoping we do get to see that longer scene, whether it be a DVD extra or uh, an online release, even at some point that, where we get to see, see everything that was cut out you know these the interaction between these two women in this scene is just so powerful Lorel is easily one of the most interesting characters 
in this entire show to begin with. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, because you, you don't really know whose side, you know, other than her own, you don't know which side she's on at any given moment. You know, she was really convincing about her desire to defect when she's speaking with Cornwall, but I didn't believe her. until oh, I didn't either. <laughs> until she goes into that room and finds all those bodies of people she knew, people she considered friends. And when she, you know, when there's nobody around but us viewers and she swears that she's going to bring him down, I believe now that she will do anything up to and including working with the Federation to bring him down. Now, I'm glad that you mentioned that, you know, she was all alone because every time we've seen Laurel, we've basically seen a mask of who she really is because she's always presenting to who she's talking to to be on their side. So when she has no one around to listen, we're finally seeing the real Laurel and swearing to destroy Cole. And how I thought the timeline was, was that, okay, Cole sees... Cole sees her in the hallway with a prisoner that's not shackled or anything like that. And I think he saw right through that fake fight. We don't know if Cornwell is really dead or not. Um, yeah, I'm hoping I, she's not because yeah, the actress too. is fantastic. <laughs> yeah, me too. I, I I hope that she's not dead. Um, it was very hard. To, I watched that scene a couple of times to see if I caught any breathing. You know, not that that necessarily tells you anything because uh, there's uh, all the time actors who are supposed to be dead and get caught breathing on camera every now and then. But <laughs> right. But I looked closely. It's kind of like uh, you know after kind of like when I was watching Tyler get disintegrated by the uh, the, the, <laughs> the dark matter you know going frame by frame like is there anything here for me to see but of course i I could have skipped all that had i known that this episode was going to show a bioscan of tyler in the uh in the sick bay showing all his human organs and stuff inside of him so i guess all that uh freeze framing didn't didn't mean much (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i hope that we see cornwell again i hope that uh you know maybe she was just knocked out real good and you know that laurel was like okay i'll drag her into here and uh, i'll find time to to sneak back and and get her later but that does bring us to the other interaction that laurel had um, which was between her and Cole. This was a really, really interesting interaction as well. I thought both before the Cornwell incident and afterwards, right. the you know she does not like him, and he knows it, and he doesn't care. He does not <laughs> like her, and she knows it, and she doesn't care. Nobody's pretending to like each other here. She's just right. pretending to to swear fealty to him in order to to get on his good side. You know, because she wants to be on the winning side of the war. At least that's what he thinks, and. She's doing whatever the heck she's doing because we don't even know really. But I thought it was very interesting that, you know, he comes to her, she, you know, she comes to him, she gives him this information, which, you know, we don't know if she learned any of this from the previous, uh, inter- you know, from the interrogation that we didn't see, or if this is just information that she learned from Lorca before, because, right. you know, she doesn't really give him any information that's all that new. You know, they right. know, they've seen that there's a ship that just appears out of nowhere and disappears out of nowhere again. And basically that's all she confirms is that, yes, they have this. And if you were able to use it on your ships, you'd be 
you definitely win and not just the empire you'd be able to take over the entire galaxy blah 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 he's basically telling him everything that he wants to hear and then he uh basically inducts her into his house you know she kneels before him he paints her face with the with the weird red paint which probably has some blood in it we don't know but it's klingon so there's probably <laughs> some probable. sort of blood in there um there's blood in their dang wine you, th- you don't think there's gonna be some blood in their red paint uh <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then after that, he has her drug away to be punished for her deceit. And now, that's I think I think he painted her into his house as an insult because he knows how much she hates him, and it was like, all right, you hate me. Well, now you're part of this house when you don't want to be, and now because you're a part of this house, I'm going to punish you. Yeah, it, that could definitely be. Uh, part of the aspect of it, I think it's yeah. It, it was just very interesting. What you know, what I'm not 100 percent sure of is what deceit he's talking about. You know, it could be like you said, just seeing her in the hallway with the prisoner, and you know, you know, where were you going? And then she grabbed the, you know, that's when she grabbed the knife and tried to, you know, make a show of it because she knew she had to. Or is it something bigger? Does he know more about her plans? Did he have listening devices that, you know, does he have somebody else that speaks English or can translate English and, you know, was aware of her desire to, you know, or her at least her claim of desire to defect? Well, remember, <clears throat> she she escaped Cole's ship to pick up Volk and drop him off wherever. And so did Cole find out about that? Like, did she try to, like, pop back on him and, like, I've, I've been here the whole time? <laughs> or or what? So I don't know. There's there's some very interesting layers here, and I hope that we get more answers because there, there's just some things with the timeline and how some events are going over. I I just feel that we're not seeing everything yet, and I hope they're saving that for you know, either flashbacks or like part of this big reveal because there's still a lot of things that I have lingering questions about. Yeah, we still don't know what happened to Voke, uh, for sure. Obviously, the the prevailing theory for, for a while has been that Tyler is Voke. But if so, now we know that it's more than just a surgical alteration to the face and body. You know, it's all the way down to organs, in order for him to pass as human, because we've seen. I'll have to seen... double check that scene because I didn't notice the sick bay graphic. They they did show it. Yeah, you you saw definitely a human graphic above him and a human graphic above uh, Michael. Uh, or there was another not Michael. There was another person in the sick bay as well, and they had a human graphic above that person. And then above uh, Saru was an obvious Kelpian graphic. Like it was completely different <laughs> okay. for him. Yeah, um, so I, I, w- I wasn't paying attention to the graphics because. You know that scene was a, a little bit more uh, emotional. I went so, again. Yeah. I went back and looked at it a little closely because I wanted to see. Ooh, are there any hints here? But you know, obviously, we know that uh, Klingon physiology is quite a bit different internally than humans. So mm-hmm. you know, they've got more ribs, they've got more lungs, they've got <laughs> extra heart valves or uh, chambers. You know, stuff that uh, if if there was something that abnormal about uh, Tyler's inner workings, somebody would have been like, "Hey, what what's up with this, buddy?" <laughs> Hey, what's going on here? <laughs> they would have noticed. They, they may not have known it was Klingon if they haven't had a Klingon to study, but they would have known it wasn't human. 
So right. if he is Vogue, he's been transformed down to the inner organs, um, which again, you know, again, we talked about the possibility of Tyler being the real Tyler, but with maybe uh, Vogue's being or something transferred into him in hiding, waiting to come out or something. You know, there's there's all sorts of possibilities uh, right. where – or – and here's where I think – I'm leaning more and more towards – the fact that I believe the actor probably did play both parts and they did it just to mess with us, just to give us that false flag, just to, just to throw that red herring out there to be like, yeah. we're going to – the internet is going to love this. Watch this. Uh, we're going to make you play this if part. That's, if that's the case, you know, where the hell has Vogue been since that one episode? Like <laughs> – What's what's even going on there? Yeah, I think, so I think we'll get to see more of that when we get more of because you know obviously him and Laurel were like hooking up, but again was that Laurel just thinking that she could use him to get something, or was that the only time that we've seen Laurel be genuine when she you know because she repeated again that you know she basically loved Vogue, you know that she she was uh, very much with the person who Takuma chose as his successor, but. You know, that was while she was also claiming to want to defect. So was any of it true? Was that, you know, so far, I think we've seen for sure one true moment of Laurel. And that was in this episode when she swore to destroy Cole. Other than that, it's completely up for grabs. Any of those scenes could have been genuine or not. And we don't know yet. And I think that's what's great about Discovery. Like, I, I think the the back half of this season is just going to blow us away. And, and maybe this finale, too. Maybe we're going to get some big truth bombs coming up. Well, they, um, they said this next episode is supposed to be very, very good. Um, I believe in After Trek they described it as balance of terror good. Which, which that is a big bar. When you're, to, when you're talking Star Trek, if you throw something out there with balance of terror attached, that's, yeah, you're, you're claiming that this is going to be really dang good. And I hope it is. Yeah. So uh, let's get to the main meat of the episode, which was the Pavo mission. We have uh, Saru leading the mission. We've got Specialist Burnham and, of course, Lieutenant uh, Ash Tyler. So their whole purpose here is to establish a, you know, electromagnetic frequency uh, to adjust Pavo's signal with this transmitter. And they had to land or, or transport down uh, pretty far away because of the electromagnetic uh, distortions that were closer to the the thing, which was kind of BS because they transport out. I was, I was, I was about to say, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> so they just uh, transported right back out through that plot hole, did they? Um, yeah, kind of, yes. <laughs> But you know what? That was a very Trek thing to do, if you think about it, because uh, it is. didn't didn't they beam lore out of that same plot hole in <laughs> in data lore in, in Next Generation? Okay, I'm going to beam this tree out. When I beam it out, I have to lower the shields. That's when you're going to attack. But then somehow they just they they beamed lore out without saying anything about the shields. Wait, wait a minute. Yeah. The whole point of beaming the tree out was to take down the. Sh wait a minute. So, uh, anyways. 
maybe um, the booster that uh, Michael had attached to the the spire um, somehow, you know, also allowed them be. to get through the interference. I don't know. We'll figure that that's another another whole discussion right there. But at first, this whole Pavian mission seemed a little far fetched. You know, it was kind of one of those stretch things that they mm-hmm. use to, to push along a storyline that I know you just have to kind of roll with because it's like, okay, so what are they planning on doing? Using this particular planet's individual spire to broadcast some sort of sonar throughout the entire galaxy that will allow them to d- detect the ships? Or are they trying to, to to duplicate it and put something like this on Federation ships to use? Like, it wasn't really clearly stated right. what their intention was. And if it was the latter, then, like, seriously, they couldn't figure out just how to make a transmitter that transmits sound? I mean, everything else that you're well, able to do and you can't figure out sonar on your own? I'm, okay, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to... I'm trying to trackify this, and I'm thinking if you have basically a planet-wide transmitter, something the size of a planet, if the whole planet is transmitting this, you know, you've got a transmitter the size of a planet. I think that's a little bit out of the Federation's technological achievements. So uh, I, I can forgive that a little bit. You know, obviously there's some unique properties because we find out that essentially most of the planet is sentient. It's like one huge being, or at least every living thing is, is transmitting on this wave. So, I mean, it's that hand wavy Star Trek, <laughs> sometimes magic science that, that sometimes happens. Yeah. Like but, I said, once they got to the meat of it and I realized why they had to go to a planet to do this, because you can't introduce the Pavians without going to Pavo, you know, and that was necessary for this part of the storyline. And so once, once I got to the point where I recognized where they were going with it, I was like, okay, I can gloss over the fact that I don't quite get what they were trying to do here because it's getting us to the meat of the store. I'm just glad we got an away mission. Finally, yeah. we're off these ships. <laughs> we're on a, a beautiful planet. I mean, the way it was shot and the way that they enhanced it with all the blue coloring and and just all the post production that they did. Th- it's one of the best looking Star Trek planets we've really seen. Yeah, it was really cool looking. I was filmed in Canada, but obviously they 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 tricked it up a bit with the sparkly blues here and there. And I, I love seeing non-humanoid sentient species in Star Trek. It's one of my favorite things oh, yeah. when they bring in the you know because we always see these these species that are all humanoid because obviously they need to be played by human actors. So it's gotta be. <laughs> It's it's basically, that's what they have to be. We've come to a place technologically where we can have these non-humanoid species on camera very much better than, than ever before. And so Pavians themselves, um, they seemed like individual entities to me, mm-hmm. especially, you know, when they first encounter them and they're kind of surrounded. They were There's kind like of all, group of yeah, there was a group of them. They were like all touching, but, it, you know, I kind of equated it to like a group of people standing around, you know, standing just at arm's length of each other to create a circle around the people like not necessarily holding hands but standing close enough to where they could right. create a barrier if they needed to but i did sense that they were individuals and then later we see one of them was able to actually carry tyler move and we don't know if that was instantaneous like transporting him from where they were to the transmitter or whether it was just really really fast that part wasn't really explained. We just see him like poof there in a cloud of pavilion. Um, and we don't know if like, 
did he just like you know Barry Allen it over here, or was it a transport? To, you know, are they able to transport I, to different places among on the planet? I kind of got the feeling it was more like a transport kind of a deal. And see, I kind of felt it was the was more of a speed thing. Just the way he came out of it, like he, like he was suddenly stopping from being from from moving. Oh, okay. Like so that gave me the impression that okay, maybe it's just a really like a speed thing. Like they're not hindered by any type of. They're able to move very very quickly, and in this case, carry someone along with them. But uh, that's something that maybe the writers will clear up for us at some point. Maybe we'll see whether it was a straight transporter or if it was more of just a speed thing because they don't really explain it. You just they just bring yeah. him there. <laughs> they just bring him there and, to be with his buddies. Um, and that and could I, be another I, explanation for the transporter too. Maybe they allowed the discovery to transport them. Maybe the Pavan said, okay, take your people back. We will, we will diminish yeah. the disruption that's around here for you to do this. Yep. Get the hell off our planet. Yeah. <laughs> Go but, back to your um, ship. Cause you got company coming. <laughs> but I liked the, I liked the whole interaction with the Pavans because it very much felt like what happened in the original series with the Organians. You know, we have a non-corporeal species trying to dictate peace or what they think is peace. And that was such a great thing about the resolution because I just feel that this whole episode was about miscommunication. And Saru saying, oh, you know, just give me a moment of peace, just silence everything. And instead they went too far. They they dulled his senses so much and, and opened up his mind uh, so much that Saru was just overwhelmed by this feeling of peace, which Kelpians have never experienced before. And then, you know, Michael's saying, hey, we, we got to stop the war. Help me fix the mistake that I did. And they don't know, the Pavans don't know that the Klingons are so bloodthirsty and war-driven that they think, oh, they want they want peace. Well, we can just bring both of you guys here and we'll talk about it. So I think I think the Pavans are good intentioned, but I feel that the lack of maybe understanding, because there is no universal translator, and I think the Pavans may understand English just from the interactions and, and all that stuff, or maybe on a more telepathic level. But I just feel like they were misinterpreting things differently. Yeah, I think that scene where they, they delve into Saru's mind, because basically they're getting everything they know about this conflict from Saru and from his perspective on it. And, you know, so basically they see this this conflict going on and they only know the one side of it. And they, they only know the side of it that would actively want peace. So they you they can only make the assumption that oh the other side must want this as well so we can work this out you're obviously not knowing who or what the Klingons are other than that they're in this battle I thought it was really interesting that you know you know we see, we see this interaction with, with with the Pavans and how they kind of you know Saru comes out to them just literally begging to make the sound stop for a little bit and instead they're like okay well you you. Let's uh, let's do this mind meld here <laughs> instead, yeah. and uh, just figure out what what you're all about. And that's where things took a turn. Now about Saru's um, behavior. So when I first watched this episode, I actually didn't like 
this episode when it, how it dealt with Saru because I thought, oh man, really? He's just he's acting out against everyone. He's uh, fighting with his friends. He's physically harming them and putting the mission in jeopardy. And I'm like, man, this isn't like Saru at all. And I thought, you know, he came in the next morning all, oh, I'm, oh, I love it. And, oh, there's such harmony. And, and then as soon as he crushed their communicators, I'm like, whoa, Pobbins did a mind control <laughs> thing. I was like, oh, it's going down. And, and no, when in sickbay, you say, he says, no, that, that was really me. And I'm like, was, was the, the whole thing about uh, not feeling fear, was it, was it so intoxicating that you forget you're a Starfleet officer and you're willing to harm your friends? So I thought it was just, it was very, um, selfish of, of Saru. Oh, and oh, absolutely. I know he regrets uh, it. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. When I watched it, the first thing I thought of, and Anybody, I'm sure, who's ever had a friend or family member who was an alcoholic or an addict of, of any sort would know this behavior. And that because it immediately resonated with me. I looked at it and said, he's, he's a junkie and she's trying to take away his fix. That's what's going on here. He's finally experienced, you know, for him, this peace this is something that he's never felt before in his entire life. And he suddenly got it and he will do anything to not let it go. And that's just, you know, the same way a drug addict will do anything to get that next hit uh, when they're jonesing. You know, it doesn't matter. You know, they will steal from people. They will hurt people that they that they love, that they would never in a million years do anything harmful against if they were in their right mind. But when you're yeah. affected in some way, whether it be by chemicals or in this case, you know, uh, uh, an <laughs> unnatural amount of peace, <laughs> you know, that's that's how I looked at it. I looked at it and I was like, oh, they've got him. They've got him high as a kite and he is not giving that up easy. Um, now, I will say I, I've watched this since two more times. So I've seen a total of three times. And I think I just must have been in a bad mood or i just wasn't <laughs> feeling the episode when i first watched it but um on subsequent viewings i pretty much got what everyone else was getting from it and it is powerful because he his whole species is afraid as soon as they're born and for him to be completely devoid of that fear and on a planet that that is safe yeah there's he'll do anything to to keep that and he even yells at at burnham he's like you're trying to take this away from me too and yeah. it was all that jealousy and all their past conflict uh bubbling up to the surface again yeah which if, and, you, if you've read uh desperate hours you know that goes even back to when yep. she was first made first officer. Like, this isn't just even uh, resentment no. from what we've seen thus far. This is resentment going back even further than that. Oh, yeah. It's it's going back almost a decade. And, you know, those deep-seated jealousy and conflicts and all that stuff, I'm sure sure they, they were friends, and they are friends, but it's a troubled relationship. And this way, like, everything that they're dealing with, uh, Burnham even says, we need you. We we need your experience. We need you to to help win this war. And it and we can't do it hiding on this planet yeah. thinking everything is fine. We need to win this war. 
And that was what was so great about the sickbay scene was that he admitted he's like, look, I wasn't, I, I was under the influence, but that was really my personality. And yeah, it would be his personality when he has no fear. And, you know, we find out that, that Kelpians are strong and they're fast. And <laughs> even though they're a prey species, they have all these amazing gifts. Because before this episode, I didn't know that Saru was that strong, you know, capable of, you know, crushing communicators. And and I assumed he could run fast, but I, th- that's almost like cheetah speed, what he was doing. Yeah, he was moving. He was moving real fast. Um, and that the, was a great effect, by the way. That was really well done. Yeah, showing the way he was running because it made sense based on, you know, how he's built and how he's supposed to, you know, obviously they've, they've done it with special boots and stuff. But were those his actual legs, like that's probably what he would look like running. So it was really good. But yeah, they did bring up a, a really good point on After Trek when they were talking about how powerful and fast Saru is. I want to see the predator species on his planet <laughs> because oh my oh god, my I think gosh. they'd be terrifying. <laughs> they they've got to be because if they're the 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 predatory species, if they're the alpha species on this planet, they're going to have to be faster. They're going to have to be stronger. Oh, I'm just imagining just the most terrifying thing you can possibly imagine. In <laughs> we're gonna they're they're gonna uh, blend worlds. They're gonna find out it's the predators. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Okay, now now I want to see that episode. <laughs> forget forget Alien versus Predator. It's going to be Saru versus Predator. <laughs> Kelpian versus Predator. <laughs> somebody somebody get on that uh, fan art. We want to see that. So yeah, I thought this episode was was really well done. Um, yeah, my only complaints really were the parts that we didn't get to see. The fact that I know they exist and we didn't get to see them. Like if if I didn't know they existed, I probably wouldn't be as bothered by it. But the fact that I know they filmed them. And we just didn't get to see them because they cut it for time on a format that they shouldn't have to cut for time. So I really hope we do get to see those deleted scenes because I feel like they probably do add, you know, got to get more Culber in there anytime you can. And then but especially between Laurel and Cornwell, like, yeah, I want every moment of those two on screen together that I can possibly get. Yeah. uh, Such a great actor pairing for that. Um, Another great pairing. Uh, was uh, Michael Burnham and Ash Tyler. And I really like where this relationship is going because it feels natural in a time of war. And they're reminiscing about, oh, well, Tyler's like, yeah, I'm going to go on Lake Shasta with my sailboat and get some fresh trout. Have you ever had fresh, you know, fried trout? And, you know, Burnham was raised on Vulcan, so she's a vegetarian. Of course, she's never had that. (laughs) Uh, And she hasn't probably been on Earth in in a very long time. Uh, So I just thought it was was a very nice, natural conversation about their future. Burnham saying, look... You know, I hate to be the bearer of the bad news, but my sentence was a life sentence. I'm after this, I'm going straight to jail. Tyler essentially just wanting to not even make this mission succeed just to prolong the war so that they could be together. <laughs> I, I know he's trying to lay it on thick, but I'm like, dude, come on. Um, but I, I loved the callback to the needs of the many, the few, or the one, mm-hmm. uh, which we've heard in different variations on Star Trek. That that was a great callback. 
But I, I like that they shared their, well, the first we've seen of, you know, not another timeline kiss. You know, this was, you know, a, yeah. just a nice, innocent kiss uh, in the moment. And I I love their relationship. I love how it's building, which is going to be so painful whenever, if we find <laughs> out that he's Vogue. Because, man, this is just... It's like you can almost see it a com- uh, coming a mile away, but I re- I know that these writers are smart enough that I hope this whole thing is just a misdirection because this could be the cruelest or the best thing or both that they've ever done on Star Trek. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting um, when we find out whatever the the twist may be. Um, obviously, you know, obviously they're going to throw a wrench in there somewhere. Um, whether it's that big a wrench or not, we never know. I'm calling it out. I'm, I'm going to put my prediction in right now. Here it is. Burnham is Vogue. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, <it's... laughs> my, my mind exploded from the stupidity of it. <laughs> yeah, okay, I've heard, I've heard so many, like, honestly, people are like, no, 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 it's not It's not Tyler. It's it's Lorca who's Vogue. I'm like, eh, no, I don't buy that either. Like, they, they throw out some things, like <laughs> the fact that after he was captured, we didn't see the Tribble again for a few episodes. Um, oh, the fact that we haven't had, we haven't seen him have a medical scan, and he was really uh, against Cornwall trying to give him any kind of you know mental scan or anything like that oh did he for had he forgotten uh, about their time watching the meteors or whatever you know it's like oh maybe oh he doesn't God, know these things if- so he must be vogue i'm like there is no way that he is <laughs> pretending to captain the ship and blowing up so many of his own right, people right. to to build like if once he was in what what's his end game once he's in command of the secret weapon that's that's the end game you take the secret weapon back to your people (laughs) (laughs) you don't need to continue the charade at that point so that that theory Uh, is just as dumb you got it (laughs) it's like once you once i'm here i'm in command okay um here's some coordinates black alert let's go here oh by the way you're all dead and i win (laughs) credits like yeah, that, that's the that's the most ridiculous theory that I've heard thus far. So I figured right. I'm going to make a more ridiculous one. So yeah, it, it's going to be interesting. They're going to have to throw some kind of wrench in it. The more I think about it, the more I think that the whole Vogue Tyler thing is probably a misdirection for something else to keep us fans thinking one thing while they right. uh, you know we're watching one cup while they got the ball dancing around under another one right now. That's what I'm thinking. Who Which and I don't really the have greatest. That would be the greatest misdirection. It would be it would be absolutely fantastic. And in the in the time of the internet with with everything going on and with the people like me going through frame by frame looking for the tiniest clues to try to trip them up. Yeah, they would absolutely in order to keep something really big secret. The best way to do that is to make a different secret look like it's kind of slipped out so that people can latch onto it and go nuts with it. And there you go. So maybe that's all this is. And maybe we got something bigger coming down the pipe. Uh, it's well, going to we'll be find crazy. Out. But yeah, just overall, very good episode. Strong. Yes. I liked that. Uh, we saw a lot of things happen, you know, could have been longer as we said, but it did push a lot of pieces of story along. I love the, the Klingon action. And I love that they're sticking with, the Klingon language and subtitles. I don't oh, care yeah. that I have to read a few subtitles. It brings me more into the moment to hear them speaking Klingon all the time, except when Lorel is speaking English to a human. Like, Which, that makes sense. 
<laughs> Which is great. And I love that she threw things like, oh, you know, Kalesh willing, you know, turning f- human phrases on, on a trick. You know, we would say, oh, well, God willing. Like, of course, she would say, like, Kalesh willing. And, you know, throwing in some Klingon words in there, like, patah, and fantastic. So, yeah, overall, this episode was very great. I really liked the... Um, the things that happened with Saru, you know, even though my first viewing, I wasn't a fan, but the more you watch it, you know, the more you see the layers that the writers are dealing with. And mm-hmm. I know some people were saying that, well, I think on after Trek, they, they mentioned that Christian bear, she, she was, she was crying at certain scenes and they were <laughs> filming. I, I didn't cry at this. Like I, I, I'm, I get it was an emotional, but I'm not that I'm not that yet attached to Saru. Like, give me a, <laughs> if if they did this like a couple seasons in or like three seasons in, and you know this was more of an emotional impact. Yeah, I probably would have shed a tear or two, but I I was too busy on the fact that dude, you just donkey kicked. <laughs> Michael, like, what the hell, dude? Like, I was, I was focused on that. I'm like, why are you hurting these officers after getting on your high horse about, you know, you know, Michael betraying her captain? Like, come on. So, anywho, I, I get it now. I get it. So, some callbacks. Yep. Um, but a little tidbit. Again, this is the third episode where we have not got a teaser and we didn't get a teaser in the last episode but the last time we didn't get a teaser before that was like 25 years ago (laughs) with encounter at four point yeah and i thought that was kind of weird in this episode because it did like if they had done a teaser in uh the previous episode with the time loop it may have interrupted the continuity you know if they you know, right. stopped at the first time the ship, you know, because they could have easily, you know, he blows up the ship and then they cut to intro and then, oh, they're back at the party and be like, wait, what? What happened? Like, I could understand yeah. that would interrupt the continuity of what we're supposed to be seeing. This episode, they could have easily done the battle sequence and then before going to Pavo, done the done the credits and it wouldn't have oh. interrupted the flow of the show. So yeah. the the you know, is this just the way they're going from here out? Is is that what we're going to get? We're going to previously on and then boom credits and then show, um, or I, is it I just hope not? Because I love the Star Trek tradition of a of a teaser. I don't know. Uh, I'd I'd love to see it happen, but you know whatever. Um, I, I'm wondering if it if they're putting it up to the writers, like whoever wrote that episode, you get to choose. Are you gonna you know when do you want the credits? <laughs> when do you want the theme song to play? And if they say you know what, just do it before my stuff starts, then they do it before the writer's stuff starts. Or maybe it's up to the director of that particular episode. You know, the director gets to say, okay, here's a good point that we could you know pause it and move on. You know, throw the credits in. And maybe the director for those two episodes just decided, no, you know what? I don't want to interrupt the flow of the show at all. We're just going to put it at the beginning. It's it's interesting. It's fair. Yeah, and, you know, we'll see if it continues or if it's just something that, you know, a couple episodes and maybe we'll get a teaser for the next few and then maybe they'll just do another one without. (laughs) You know, we we don't know. Uh, So this episode is one of nine Star Trek episodes that have uh, land titles. 
The others are Sub Rosa, Dramatis Personae, uh, Inter Arma Enum Silent Legis, uh, Ex Post Facto, Non Sequitur, Alter Ego, Terra Nova, and Vox Sola. And those are all mouthfuls. <laughs> <laughs> Especially the Inter Arma Enum Silent Legis. Le- Legis? Legis, I, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not even remembering, like, w- without some more information, I don't even remember which episode that is, to be honest with you. Like, uh, I know as soon as you describe it, I'll know what it is, but... That's the Deep Space Nine one with, uh, with the Romulans. It's a fake! <laughs> Yes, that was a great episode. Yeah, it's a fake. It's a fake. <laughs> um. That was oh yeah, that was that was a great episode. When uh, yeah, oh I loved that episode because that was the, that was basically the entire episode was kind of narrated by Cisco confessing all this stuff that it, like he just kept getting deeper and deeper wait, wait, and deeper. Wait, I think I'm, and or, then or is that is it, that the one where Bashir's on on the Voyager clash? <laughs> Um, I don't, I don't remember what Bashir was doing that episode, but yeah, you know, it was basically Cisco just oh, like yep. admitting all this stuff that, that like he just let no, himself get no, deeper no. and deeper and deeper. And then, no, 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 that this, this, this wasn't the Cisco looking at the camera episode. This was Bashir was going to a conference on Romulus and this was the section 31 thing with Sloan. Oh, okay. That oh, okay. Yeah. That was a good episode too, but not the one I was thinking of. That's not the. It's a fake episode. Which one was that? What was the title of that? It's funny. Anyway. Like di- like next gen episodes, I can usually name instantly. Uh, Deep Space Nine episodes, not so much on the names. <laughs> like every now and then, like you'll say a name of a Deep Space Nine episode, and I'll know what you're talking about. Otherwise, I need to know the one where. <laughs> Um, so this episode, you know, really establishes the romantic relationship that Michael and, and Ash are going through. But the the romance uh, proceeds uh, in a previous episode in an alternate timeline. And this is similar to how a married romantic relationship between Worf and Deanna Troy was depicted in a quantum reality in Parallels before the romance between them actually was depicted in the prime timeline. Yeah, it's kind of like one of them got a glimpse into what could be, so they're going to decide to give it a shot. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting callback to that. Um, One of the worst uh, possible romances, I think, ever in Star Trek (laughs) between Worf and Troy. But this one, I think, is it works a lot better because you you saw this beginnings of it beforehand. You know, there was already a flirtatious thing going on there before the time loop started. And Tilly was definitely pushing for it to happen. You know, she would have continued, I'm sure, to try to get them together. So I think they were kind of destined to at least have a fling regardless. But it is kind of interesting that they, you know, they've already had their first dance and their first kiss, but neither of them remember it. They have to be told (laughs) by Stamets that it happened. So um, the Pavans in this episode, obviously a a non-corporeal species. Uh, And I mentioned the Organians, which was in the original series, Errand of Mercy, which also introduced the Klingons. Mm -hmm. Also, uh, the way that the Pavans uh, expose uh, Saru to this new feeling is similar to the Omicron spore in the original series, This Side of Paradise, where Spock 
and other characters in that episode are affected. And uh, like the non-corporeal type of beings, they're similar in their effects to the Wisps uh, in Enterprise's The Crossing, which was a, a very good episode of Enterprise. You should really rewatch Enterprise. <laughs> I'm uh, actually, I'm actually in the process of rewatching Enterprise. Um, it's the only series I, I've seen every episode of every series except uh, the animated series, mm-hmm. and uh, but Enterprise is the only one that I've only ever seen through once. Mm-hmm. Um, that's changing. I, I've actually, I'm actually about. I think I'm two episodes shy of the end of season one right now in my rewatch. So. I'm trucking through them, and I am not hating them as much as I remember disliking See? them previously. Although, I will tell you this, the song sucks. <laughs> you know what? I Oh my gosh. I, 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 never really, I never really got the hate for the song. <laughs> I, Maybe like I, the first... I, I understand why people hate it, but me personally, I'm... <laughs> I'm okay with it. It's not It's not that bad. I tell you, nothing in the universe is, moves faster than my finger on the fast-forward button when that song starts when I'm watching an episode. When I realize it's about to start, I'm like, oh, I know. One minute, ten, 15 seconds. I need to scroll forward. One minute, 15 seconds. It, you at least like the montage, right? Oh, no, I love the audio, the video of it. Yeah, the montage yeah, is yeah. cool, and when I get to the mirror episode, I'll probably sit through the music because it's it's different, and we get the the mirror montage. So, I'll right. you know I'll watch that. But um, <laughs> yeah, no, the montage is really cool. That's what makes it. That's what that's what really stinks about. It's like I I dig the whole like showing them going from nothing to yeah. to this, you know, because it is a long road getting from there to here. But still. <laughs> And then they, and they even made it. Which season did they try to rock it up? They added like an extra drum track to it. Like that was suddenly going to make it, it better. The, it was the third season. Yeah. Like you're not fooling anybody. We know it's the same song, guys. It was like when Deep Space Nine tried to go a little darker, and they just they started the same song, but with a boom. It's like, oh, we're in dark Deep Space Nine now. Uh, but at least Deep Space uh, Nine song. I like. I loved. The uh, original, the original series song was groovy. Like every time when I was rewatching the original series, whenever the song came on, I was just like kind of jamming in my seat. Um, yep. TNG will always be my favorite song, oh, yeah. opening song. But uh, Deep Space Nine and Voyager had awesome tracks as well. So they yeah. did uh, everything except Enterprise. Uh, anyways, <laughs> um, Admiral Cornwell tells Laurel that the Federation has no death penalty. This appears to contradict General Order Seven, which prohibited visiting the planet Talos 4 on pain of death after the Enterprise's encounter with the Talosians in 2254. However, there is no on-screen evidence that establishes that General Order 7 was issued in that same year and the text of the order does not specify a punishment. That being said, the death penalty was in force for violations of the order as of 2267 as depicted in the Menagerie. It's possible that either General Order 7 or the associate death penalty or both was only established after this episode. Yeah, that, that's kind of where I, what I was assuming when she said that, is that she either yeah, was <clears throat> ignoring that particular thing because it was so specific, or yeah. it was something that hadn't happened yet, because I don't remember exactly when uh, the cage 
technically fits into all of this since that was never well, really the, aired. The cage happened a year before in Discovery's time. It's it, 2254. That's when okay. the cage happened. So, uh, again, you know, it might take a while to get, you know, orders passed and and all that stuff. So uh, the timeline's right. And they were only talking about prisoners of war. And in that case, there is no death penalty for POWs. Yeah. Um, and the way that Saru crushed the communicators is almost identical to the way in which one of Mud's android women did during the original series episode, I, Mud. I thought that was that was my first thought when he did it, when he grabbed their communication and just crushed. I was like, oh, there's another mud throwback. <laughs> <laughs> I forget which of his androids did it specifically, uh, but it was one of the one of the female androids he had serving him on that planet. And just took, took his took Kirk's communicator and just <laughs> it was just like that. I was like, oh, that's great. It's fantastic. And nothing's really putting my quantum state into flux this week unless you have something you want to get off your chest about uh, star trek no no not really um one thing i did want to bring up um we talked last week a little bit about the situation uh with uh, kevin spacey and yes. uh how i had I, I remember saying specifically that i really hope this starts a snowball effect in the industry and we see more and more people willing to come forward with their stories and um, that obviously is the case. That is happening. Mm -hmm. More and more people are coming forward with, um, you know, some more and more people are finding themselves uh, under the under the hot lamp there. And uh, I think ultimately, while it stinks for us as fans of some of these people, I'm not going to throw out any names right now because it doesn't apply to Star Trek, but just in right. general, there, and there's been so many of them, I'm not going to try to list them all. <laughs> um, but it's, as, as I replied to somebody on Twitter who had posted, like, you know, I can't believe like like eight or nine different people are being accused of things right now. And I'm like, it's almost as if we've spent the last many decades allowing a society which gives powerful men these opportunities. <laughs> you know, um, as soon as we stop doing that, then guess what? Things come out. And hopefully this means that people will put more thought into what they do in the future so that we won't have to wait until it comes out later. Hopefully people will actually stop themselves before doing these things, whether it's because they're afraid of getting caught or whether because they realize it's wrong. I'd, I'd rather they realize it's wrong and not do it. But if they just don't do it so they won't get caught doing it, that's fine too. I'll accept that. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, I think that we really have seen that over the past couple of weeks, a lot more people coming forward. So, um, and I think it's going to continue and hopefully it will foster a different type of environment for the entire industry, which would be good for everybody. Yeah. I sort of got, if something comes out about a Star Trek actor, I'm, I don't know, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's really tough. It, you you really have to look at it. You know, there's a lot of these people, you yeah. got to look at it. Can you separate the art from the artist? And how much can mm -hmm. you separate the art from the artist? And for some, you, you can in some cases. For some things, you can in some cases. Like, um, you know, it's it's well documented that Bruce Willis is a complete jerk and a pain in the butt to work with. I haven't heard any specific allegations of, uh, you know, major misconduct, especially sexual misconduct. I, I may have missed them. I'm not saying that it didn't happen or that it hasn't happened, but I haven't seen it. I have heard reports that he's hard to work with and that he can be a bit of a jerk. I still love Die Hard. 
Yep. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm like, but, but, eh. but I'll, I'll tell you this, like with, with Kevin Spacey, you can't look at American beauty the same way no, ever again. Not at it all. It just takes a weird, like all new context with that. And it's, it's, it's disturbing. Yeah. And, and that's where you gotta, where do you draw the line? You know, can your, can your favorite actors be jerks and still be okay to watch their stuff up to a certain point? At what point do they cross that line where, you can't even watch their past stuff anymore because of what you found out they've done. And that's well, the whole thing, the whole thing with like Louis CK, um, I only discovered him uh, a few years ago as a comedian. And, you know, I thought his, uh, comedy specials were crazy. You know, I thought, um, they were funny. Um, you know, I, I enjoyed his show, uh, Louie on FX and then all that stuff came out about him. And I'm just like swearing him off completely. Like I know his humor has always been a little crude, but it's always been self deprecating, which, you know, it's funny. You're making fun of yourself and, and that's always hilarious. And, and he's always commented about, you know, men and our, uh, well, I mean, just men's crazy behavior in general, but yeah, you, you know, you at didn't the same realize time, how, from what perspective he was gaining that insight until recently, it's yeah. right. Um, and, and, you know, his, you know, he has two daughters and, uh, you know, I, I would assume that he obviously loves them very much, but then at the same time, it's like his apology was not really an apology he just issued a statement and not once in the quote unquote apology, did he actually say, I'm sorry. It was more like a reflective, oh, I'm going to do better this then. And I just, I, I'm, I almost have zero tolerance for, well, I do have zero tolerance tolerance for this stuff but it's like at that point something comes up i'm done with watching your <laughs> crap i'm not supporting anyone who does this stuff and i don't care how good the art was uh, the, a anything that comes up about this type of sexual allegations it dirties your entire perception of it you can't look at it the same way Without thinking in the back of your mind, oh, yeah, that guy, like, flashed his dick to five women. You know, it's like, they'll always be in the back of your head. Or, or, or wow, that guy touched a 14-year-old. Like, so, at that point, it's like, I'm I'm done with it. Yeah. You know? And I, I completely agree. There are people who try to make the argument that uh, you can separate the art from the artist. That's why, I mean, you look at how many movies has Woody Allen made since it was found out what a dirtbag he is. And people still love it, and they, they still love him and his work. And it's like, but you know, you know there's something wrong with him, and yet you still continue to, to, to support right. it. Same with Roman Polanski, you know, the same thing. We know he's done these things. We know he's hiding out in another country so that he won't be arrested if he sets foot on U.S. soil for these things. And yet people mm -hmm. still go and watch the movies, and they make this claim that, oh, well, the, the art can be separated from the artist. And I'm like, eh, maybe after they're dead. <laughs> <laughs> like, like I, right. can, I can look at a painting done by somebody who, you know, was a serial killer or something and look at the painting itself. Uh, you know, if that person is no longer active and no longer being supported and being able to do the things that they've done, then maybe I could look at the art but, but, apart but from the, the artist. Like, like with, with current actors and, and directors who participate in that stuff. 
I don't like once this type of stuff comes out, I don't want to support them in any way. Exactly. I don't want to buy a DVD. I don't want to go to one of their movies. I don't want to do anything. I don't want to even look at it on Netflix because in some way that's going to kick a residual back to them. And I don't, I don't want to support them financially for that type of crap. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's why I say, I might be able to separate the art from the artist once the dirtbag artist has uh, passed on. And then I can go back because then they're not getting those residuals. They might be going to their family or to somebody else or with, with any luck whatsoever. Maybe they're going to some sort of foundation to help the, the type of victims that they created themselves in life. You know, that would be that would be a good way to go about it. I know that's what uh, uh, Ben Affleck has come out and said that he's going to – any residuals for any Weinstein things that he's done in the past – He's going to uh, donate to to charity, which yeah, I mean that's cool and everything. It doesn't excuse him from being a dirtbag either. Um, right. But at least it's at least it's a start. Um, and the one the one thing I do want to say about uh, Louis C.K.'s statement, uh, you know, like you said, most of it was more about me, me, me than about the people. But he did do one thing right at the very beginning of the statement, which I did. Uh, give him credit for the very first thing he did was acknowledge it did happen. These women were telling the truth. Believe them. Like right. he, he didn't try to claim it wasn't exact. You know, eh, it sort of happened, or it it wasn't exactly the way they. No, he straight up said these things happened. Believe them, and that's what more is needed. Like the statement could have ended there, <laughs> and honestly, it probably would have been better in the long run. But right. but at least he did say that. So, um, you know, uh, that's the one thing that I can at least uh, I'll give him that. I'll give him that. At least he came came straight up and said, yeah, it happened. They were telling the truth. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I'm glad we're able to continue the conversation, but I, I don't want to end on a on a dirtbag <laughs> actor rant. Um, but no, uh, Star Trek Discovery, it's firing on all cylinders. I always look forward to it every week, and I watch it mul every episode multiple times. Uh, it's a great time. This is a great time to be a Star Trek fan. I'm so glad that this show is finally here, and we still have six more episodes of it. I have no idea what's going to happen in the next six hours of the show. Uh, we actually have seven going for it because we have six seven, after the right, break right. we have one more coming up On this weekend Sunday, so yeah i seven, mean the next seven, seven more hours, hours of star trek i, I have no <laughs> idea what's going to happen oh it it looks like it's going to be fantastic the little teaser we got at the oh i oh we, i do want to talk about this briefly the uh you watched after trek yes i finished it tonight before we recorded I thought it was very interesting the scene they chose to to show to give us a little taste because we know from the mm -hmm. trailer at the end of the episode that Michael ends up over on the sarcophagus ship. We know sure. that. We see it. But what we saw in After Trek was her trying to get on that away mission and being repeatedly shot down by Lorca and what really threw me was Lorca has some sort of investment in her yep. that like on a like a weird level like i want to know more about like he was like he's like i want you here i want you on the ship like he he pulled a lot of strings together there i get that and everything and so far it's been a kind of like he sees her value and thinks that that's a good way for him to to get something for nothing basically like i can pull this person out of jail and they'll be they'll do anything right. i want because i'm getting them out of a better a worse situation 
But in this scene that we see the clip of, he's like refusing to put her in this dangerous situation. And it seems very, very personal. Like, yeah, I like, is there something else going on there? Like what is driving him to be that motivated? And I want to know what eventually either a does, does he change his mind or does she just go anyway? Like, cause we know she ends up over there based on the trailer. So that is going to be very interesting to see. I want to see more of that. And I want to know more of Lorca's infatuation or whatever it is with Michael here that's that's causing him to have this uh, need to have her there and keep her safe. Yeah, it's uh, it's very interesting. So, and we'll be sure to talk about it on our next episode. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, as always, you can find me on the internet at trekkieb 47 uh, Twitter, Instagram. Those are your best bets. Uh, listen to Ranger Command Power Hour, my other podcast on the Four Eyed Radio Network. Mr. Dewey, where can people find you? I am most active on the Twitter. You can find me at Eric J. Dewey. That's also my handle over on Instagram, though I'm not quite as active over there. Um, you can also follow my other podcast, which uh, should be making a triumphant return in the near future, called the Crichton Cast, where we talk about the works and film adaptations of the author Michael Crichton. Um, you can follow that at the Crichton Cast. Um, um, both on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, where everything is just CrichtonCast. You, you can find us as well as CrichtonCast.com. So uh, check that out. And our host, uh, our other host who's still on vacation, uh, but will be back for the next episode. Uh, that's Mr. Aaron Gallo, and you can find him on the Twitters at Nova Charter. So until our next episode, which will be released uh, much more quickly, <laughs> uh, you can find us at uh, sfescapepod.com. Uh, follow us on Twitter, Instagram at sfescapepod, and we will be sure to get out more uh, subspace channels especially for this mid-season finale, and definitely want to hear all of our listeners' thoughts on that. So until that next time, we'll trek you guys later. <laughs> Live long and prosper. You have been listening to the Starfleet Escape Podcast on the Four-Eyed Radio Network. You can find us on the web at sfescapepod.com. Follow us on Twitter at sfescapepod. Like us on facebook.com slash sfescapepod. And add us to your circle on Google Plus by going to google.sfescapepod.com. <laughs>